The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome back to the second part of my conversation with international star artist Ute Lemper. We are going to discuss the trickiness of balancing a fantastic career and family, a fantastic career and a husband, and of course, the key learnings, what she took away from her life to share with you. I've been uh, scarred by life and by, uh, uh, by the years and uh, by relationships and um, and that nothing is easy in that context. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Becali. The way I've experienced you also from the interviews I've seen, I watched, I read is you are so natural, easygoing, always a can-do, positive attitude, um, easy with the team. At the same time, your true passion for... Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil, who are very political, very critical towards, of course, the political system, also critical towards uh, the U.S., uh, which is your Wahlheimat, where, where you are living. Uh, and also, you played Marie Antoinette uh, and also Anna, as we were saying, in The Seven Deadly Sins, that I got the feeling, you're so easygoing, but you like that depth that, 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 you know, tragic, perhaps, situations, not person, situation, and the way they deal with it. What is really, is this, this, this attraction you feel? How do you feel so home in these roles? Yes, I am not, uh, in my art, a romantic person. I would not want to play in an operetta or to be the sunshine character in a movie, you know, um, That is certainly something that I try to be with my kids, but I'm not so very much successful at this either. They know that I'm complicated, that uh, you know my my grown-up children know that I that I'm far from being uh, perfect. They love me as their mother profoundly, but they also know that uh, I've been uh, scarred by life and by uh, uh, by the years and uh, by relationships, and um, and that nothing is easy in that context. Um, uh, I, I would say, uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, in my Marlene Dietrich show, I, I say this, uh, this quote that Marlene actually told me on the telephone when I spoke with her in 1980. I was just about to ask you about her. That yeah. was my next question. Yeah. She, she loved Rainer Maria Rilke, the, the poet. And she was like uh, quoting me lots of lines in German and English and French. But uh, later on, I researched, of course, and there's such a beautiful line. He says, I want to be with those who know secret things. Otherwise, I'd rather be alone. And I think the secret things, these are the spaces in between the notes. They are the, 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 the weight of the, of the silence in between the words, as Elie Wiesel had said. They are... Uh, Your inner thoughts, your inner dreams, your inner disappointments, your inner struggles, the impossibility of, uh, uh, you know, there are this um, discrepancy and this uh, oxymoron that when you're in love and you think this is the greatest time of your life, you are the most vulnerable. You are, you are ready to be shattered, to lose yourself, to give up a piece of your strength and all of that. It's, it's the, the, the contradiction, the yin and yang, the, the impossibility, the attraction of the opposite, but yet again, the impossibility to live with that. 
opposition. And uh, and that, that's but that is reflected in every uh, great piece of theater and and movie and um, and and most many times in songs too. So th this is what I, I love because uh, then when you uh, perform and and. and so these great conflicts of life, mm -hmm. then uh, you do something essential, something everyone can relate to. Not everyone wants to talk about it or everyone wants to like feel that in the life. I don't want to feel that all the time, that struggle. But in art, I would say this is my mission to uh, express and, and to be a medium Yes, to everyone who listens. And I'm expressing it sometimes in a um, metaphorical way, in a symbolical way cap uh, wrapped in different colors but it's always about that and everyone can relate and i am happy to be at this moment the uh, the medium to to everyone's personal feelings and 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 the interesting thing is how you come across to me you do it with every fiber with every cell uh, in your body it's not just the voice it's your movements it's your look it's the pause it's the you know the comical moment where you know okay i should be serious but then all of a sudden there's like a grimace you know you kind of and and it's just that it, this this these 50 shades of gray or pink or whatever you build in personally in your performance i think really bring out the depth that so many artists uh, try to, or composers try to convey, and the artist is not necessarily there to interpret. Now, Ute, Malin Dietrich. Now, this is an important one. And uh, again, I think I was so touched by that real life happening, showing that on one hand, you're just breaking through like a star. On the other hand, you're humble. And, and please tell us the story, share with us the story, how you and Marlene Dietrich and the Rendezvous with Marlene Dietrich really came about. Tell us that story. Well, it was the year 1988. Um, I was in Paris performing Sally Bowes in the Parisian production of Cabaret. And uh, it is true that uh, the media were writing about me up a storm And they wrote um, the new Marlene Dietrich about me, La Nouvelle Marlene, Liberation, the front page, and Le Monde. And I said, my God, how can they say such a thing to compare me to such a legend who is so far beyond uh, uh, stardom? She has carried so much courage and, and pain and conflict with uh, having been this Hollywood movie star, the Weimar star, the chanteuse, the American soldier in World War II, um, the, the Germans called her a traitor later on. There is so much to her story. And there she was, this um, recluse that lived in Paris. For, she hadn't left her house for more than a decade. She uh, lived there with her telephone and uh, uh, talking to uh, many people on the telephone, including the world leaders. Uh, how to compare me? I was 24 at the time. But obviously it was an honor, but I wrote her a letter to kind of uh, just reach out to her. I knew she was reading the newspapers and she had heard about me. And, uh, you know, she had been very motherly to Omi Schneider at the time and to Hudegat Knef also. Um, and I know she, she, she was interested in people and in interesting people. So um, I didn't feel very much interesting, but I thought I'm going to write her a letter. And uh, she did call me back a month later and found me in a little hotel. And we had a three hour conversation and um, I didn't write anything down. I was sat there in my hotel room. I shivered. My knees were trembling. Yet I, do, uh, I did capture her mood, her mel melancholy 
her um, bitterness, her her chutzpah. She was so weird the way she talked. She was wicked, you know, like an older lady, uncensored in her words. But she was kind with me, very kind. She did not insult me ever. And uh, she encouraged me and, and told me little secrets and uh, about her very much about her pain being rejected in Germany. She knew I was a young German and, and uh, her heritage and all of that. So now 30 years later, when that phone call finished, I never got to talk to her again, even though she did leave me her phone number, but I didn't call her up again. And um, why not? I just don't know. Maybe I didn't realize on the message paper, I put it away that there was the number. Years later, I saw that there was the number. Her phone number was on it. But she had passed away at the time in 92. Um, but uh, now 30 years later, I made a, a show called Rendezvous with Marlene, where I, I base it on that phone call. And then her, basically it was a monologue and I asked very few questions. She didn't like being asked questions anyway, but she then just spoke about herself. And, uh, and then in crawling into her skin and, and channeling her and telling her story as, my, as the older woman, Marlene. Now I'm not quite as old as she was at the time, but I can uh, somehow channel the age factor better. Would you say she was one of those pivotal moments in your life that influenced definitely the, the, you know, the, the future of, um, of your career? No, she was not because I, uh, I didn't want to be like her. I didn't feel like I, at that time, uh, this very stylized image of Marlene, this femme fatale, she was like a woman of another generation. And uh, I, I grew up at the, my, my music was Pink Floyd, Joan Abertrain, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Wonder. It was a whole different music taste I had. I didn't like those Hollander songs uh, very much. I thought it was like, sounded really weird. And uh, I, I was attracted to jazz music. I loved Sarah Vaughan. She was my idol, Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, I loved the Miles Davis mood. The, the darkness and the and the the jazz feeling of jazz. I didn't have much uh, um, affection at that time and attraction to the German uh, old-fashioned Friedrich Hollander chanson. Um, even though a few years later I did play the part Lola, but I played it as a punk at the time, like with long red hair. I didn't want to be anything <laughs> like Marlene Dietrich. I didn't uh, feel it. So, but but I, I did like the something of the aura that she had a kind of a magical secretiveness to her that, that I liked. You couldn't really say who she was, but I was a much more direct person of my generation. And, um, but I was also pretty much outspoken uh, like she was actually, if you look at her interviews, she really always said what she thought. Um, but she, um, but she was a, you know, definitely a progressive woman, and th that was the one thing that was inspiring to me. She was uh, so outspoken. She was manly in her way. She leveled with the men naturally, emancipated. She could because she was educated. Yeah. And even though she was the sexy woman, oh my God, she was the boss. She could play and, the man. She could play the yeah, man. She think like a boss and act like a lady. She had an open marriage. She was totally polygamous. She was bisexual. Uh, and she uh, really was up to the level to talk to anyone she could uh, want to talk to. She, her lovers were, you know, she had hundreds of them, maybe thousands. She was with the, the, the writers, the literature, the, the, the directors, she, the politicians, the philosophers. She could converse with anyone. She had something to say. And she had this natural smartness to her that maybe also was based on her journey. Uh, 
German upbringing. I'm not sure the culture or that her parents and her society gave her at the time. And the natural understanding that a woman can, is naturally as strong as a man, maybe even stronger. Um, she was uh, very progressive for her Yeah, time. she was so, very courageous, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was inspiring. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's circle back to your family uh, to kind of start concluding our wonderful conversation, Ute. You know, um, I look at you, of course, busy, as you were saying. You were always touring the world at the same time, your mother and, um, and also a wife, a partner. How does that work? Um, is there a life-family balance or is it totally overrated? How do you do it? How do you do it? No, no, it's not overrated at all. It's a complicated uh, arrangement. And as I said, it, it was never easy. In the beginning, when I first was a mother in my, I was 30, 30 years old. And um, I remember my first tour after the birth, I went to Spain to do a concert tour. I was gone for about 10 days. I left the baby with my husband in Paris. And I just cried and cried and cried and cried. Uh, I, I just said, that makes no sense that I cannot be there where I want to be the most. And that is with my child, my baby. Yeah. And I have to be here to do this career job thing, perform. Yes, I did enjoy the moments of performance. Obviously, they were said, but everything around it, the whole thing of being in a hotel room, uh, isolated, alone, flying in airplanes around, I did not want to do that. And slowly through the years, I learned that I had to accept this challenge and accept this frustration and unhappiness, sometimes the desperation. Yeah. And I had to go on both. I had to ride both tracks. I just had to. I was given that career. I was given, um, it was a privilege to have that career. There are many talented people out there and they didn't have the privilege to have a career. I just by chance did the right thing at the right time. I was promoted by the right people. I got, I got the break. The, the, the record company gave me the contracts and I got the theater shows offered. So I was lucky and I had a little bit of talent. I could fill it out and make it great and craft I learned uh, not as much as I wanted to, but uh, then again, the natural talent uh, were compensating for the lack of craft sometimes, I thought, <laughs> and my chutzpah maybe somehow. But then I, I needed to go those both, both of those tracks. And later on, when I saw maybe after 10 years that my kids actually loved it, what I was doing, yeah. they liked it, that I had a work, that I was somebody outside of just being a mother, that I was... proud. You were proud. You were also a mother. Yeah. They thought it was inspiring that I followed my dreams and I followed uh, this journey that wasn't easy, that was hard work at the same time. But uh, it was a privilege to make your passion a job. Later on, they were able to admit this. But in the beginning, I thought this conflict was almost unbearable. Yeah. And now, uh, oh, many my, my son is now 26 and I'm a mother for 26 years now. And my littlest one my, is still only eight years old. I still have these conflicts, but I now I'm a... a I'm much more at ease to ride these two tracks. But the coronavirus hiatus <laughs> showed me how it is to be home. And I do love to be home. I, I don't want to be on an airplane right now. I don't want to travel 10 hours, 8 hours, 12 hours, 16 hours anywhere in the world and be in some kind of hotel room where I don't know. I wake up, where am I? Where's the bathroom? Who am I? What am I doing today? What is the schedule today? I love to be home, to be there, and to have this kind of uh, feeling of security around me in my family. 
it feels great. Yeah, and talk to your husband. Um, I wondered because he's also an artist and I'm sure he was also on the road. And in terms of keeping a good relationship going and the family together, especially having uh, two children together, but four children all over, I wonder, you know, you guys strike like a power couple. And I wonder, being in the same sector, the understanding must be different than for, you know, a couple that is one that has always gone and the other one just always anchored in the same four walls. Is that is that a secret? Well, uh, Todd and I, we met more than 20 years ago. I was still married to my first husband, but that marriage was already uh, at the end. And I was very happy to meet him. We had a really a wonderful, passionate relationship. Uh, we shared the love for music. We created, produced records together. We were on the road together for eight years. And, um, and then things changed after that. Uh, because uh, our child was then born. I mean, my, my, my two older kids were with my first husband when I was on the road, then they were with me. We had joint custody. But then Todd and I had our first kid, and uh, we decided uh, that he needed to stay home and uh, be with a child who was in already a nursery school, kindergarten, and I was the breadwinner. Obviously, I'm the front person. I make a lot more, lots more money than he does. And uh, and then we decided that he was the one who needed to stay home, take jobs in town, you know, recording studio and things like this. And and that was a sure, definitely a very rift in our relationship. It was not easy. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's never easy for a guy, I think, in a relationship to have a, a successful woman, maybe even more successful than himself, at, at the side and to uh, accept this. There is a competitive aspect to it that's not easy to digest. And uh, us women, we think, what's wrong with you? But it is um, a problem little bit sometimes of jealousy and uh, competition and then uh, also of the uh, the fact that I do have the satisfaction of going and doing concerts and if, uh, he has it done with other artists but in town it's not the same like being on the big stages of the world and uh, uh, but I never uh, allocated him to be just a stay-at-home dad you know we always had a very, very organized with au pairs and babysitters he always had time to do what he loves to do um, so I didn't want to have him to be the frustrated dad stay at home because he needs to be an artist too and do what he wants to loves to do which is making music but um, it's certainly over the years uh, you know the relationship has many chapters to itself we had had a lot of conflicts. We are both very hot-headed people. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's not, it's, it's been a rocky ride too, let me tell you. You know, it's not the perfect relationship. But you know what we are is, is a good team. We are not really now, after more than 20 years, we are a team work. We are sometimes just like flatmates, not definitely, there are chapters where we are not the lovey love couple, but we run the ship together and we respect our passions um, and uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, we're make, we made it through the years and I hope uh, for a bunch of years more. <laughs> I would never say until the end of it, but who knows, you know, time will tell. <laughs> always exactly, time will tell. There's always fingers crossed. If I look at your life, um, so many times you sang La Vie en Rose et Je Regrette Rien. Would you, would you subscribe to both of these statements? La vie en rose, no, definitely. The la- life is not in a rose color, no. It has all the colors in the world uh, and 
all the colors in the world. Uh, but je ne regrette rien. I do subscribe to that. That is, I don't regret anything. I don't. And uh, you know what? Um, I've been privileged to also um, make clear choices and also speak my mind out very honestly about things. And I'm, that's why I'm, I, I'm not a hypocrite. I don't like to uh, lie myself through situations. I say what it is, the way I feel, so I don't have to regret it. I don't have to, often don't even need to apologize because I've been, if I've been pretty straight, you're straightforward, then you can uh, live with that. And even if it's con controversial or confrontational, mm -hmm. sometimes hurtful, yes, then in this context, you always can apologize because you don't want to hurt people. But it's uh, very important to be... Um, to have integrity, to have a backbone, to stand up for your mind and for your choices and for your, for your opinion, and just to say it out the way it is, you know, yeah. and and be be authentic. And that takes me to the last question, to which I'm asking everybody: um, the three key learnings you would pass on to anybody. What what are they? It's, it's hard uh, because sometimes I give master classes and I try to teach younger students, you know, learning is such a process, an inside process. It, is, uh, it takes years, it takes life. It's not always a technique that defines you, but it's the life experience and uh, the way you can channel it into art and uh, the way you can keep your doors open and not crunch up and close the doors and be um, uh, closed to a certain um, process and, uh, and to, to this uh, great uh, opportunity to be, as I said, a medium. You know, you have to stay very vulnerable, very, um, uh, very um, compassionate to other people. You have to know exactly how that person feels in this situation whether it's the frontline worker who's doing the, its job, whether it's the teacher teaching your children, whether it's the construction worker in the street, uh, you, you can see what diet he lives on, what his life is, how many beers he drinks, drinks at night, whether it's um, a, a politician dedicate a career politician dedicating uh, his life or her life to these incredible compromises and also, um, uh, you know, loss of... Um, integrity sometimes that they have to submit to and surrender to whether it's your own children and you see when they're grown up they have the same struggles that you had life is not perfect they discover how much it hurts front and back what they have to go through the disappointment all that one has to stay compassionate and open to this and only then you can follow um follow a path of uh, authenticity, as you said, and true, being truthful to yourself as an artist and curiosity. Never give up the new projects. You know, I did so many projects that were completely not commercial at all. My Pablo Neruda love uh, poems, uh, com compositions that I did with the, with the uh, Argentinian bandoneonist. It was such a great project. We performed it all over the world, but it was a niche project that was, uh, you know, not talked about a lot of my Paulo Coelho collaboration which was a truly passionate work I composed all the music by myself in my little room here 
uh, closed doors and for month and month. And then we were able to create it on stage with Volker Schlöndorf doing the designs and, and bring it up as a record. It was such a reward to finally bring it to life with these crafted and talented musicians from all over the world. But there were non-commercial projects that follow you hard, cre uh, creating something out of the nothingness and making it your little canvas use your brain baby and creating it into something real whether it's a, the commercial or not is not important my songs for eternity i did this out of um you know the jewish songs out of pure compassion to the uh, to the subject and to the um the mission not who, um it was i i thought who will book this concert nobody will book it uh, um yet it was booked by very selective um concert venues who dedicated their uh, seasons to this project i was so lucky carnegie hall um uh, was booking it into the their serious voices of hope and um look what what it uh, brought me later on it got me this uh, a live stream thing that was so viewed by so many people so sometimes you just have to trust if something is made out of true compassion and uh, and and uh, and importance uh, to the matter then somehow you will be rewarded to it it has a great karma to it and you will follow those sometimes you do things purely for money purely for success for recognition and all of that it's never working it's not not worth it um and then just you know keep going uh, craft your instrument every day even in this time out i'm singing every day whatever it is um you know i i this this summer was fun because uh, i uh, and uh, I looked at this uh, composition of Yentl, Barbara Streisand, you know, oh, yeah. uh, this music, I hadn't looked at it for 25 years. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to try to sing this stuff again. It's been really? so long. Yes, and I, I practiced it every day. It took me about two months to get this upper chest voice going that Barbara Streisand had. And after a while, I could actually do it. And it was, oh my God, this music, the orchestra, the compositions by Michel Legrand. I had such pleasure doing it all by myself in the little room. No one heard it, you know. And just these, these kind of things, you just got to keep going, you know. Don't fall asleep. Don't uh, don't get stuck in front of the Netflix series. You know that that's something like well, how do you feel the emptiness? You know, there's many ways to fill it. You know, with uh, drugs and alcohol and food and eating, overeating and stuff and small talk. But um, or Netflix, it's such an addictive thing. You know, once you start with this series, uh, just do something like that. That that gives you this beautiful satisfaction, and you go to sleep with some great. Uh, great feeling of, of content at night. <laughs> I, I so underwrite that, Ute. It's the creation. If you create something by yourself uh, and maybe even the overcoming of a struggle is so much more satisfactory than anything you can kind of pop on a, a quick basis. Ute, thank you so much for your generosity, your time, your openness, frankness, your authenticity, your, 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 your just thank being you. so fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for talking with me and letting me speak. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Nobody can let me speak. I'm the one I think the most, uh, everyone speaks. Okay, I listen. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> Have a great day. Um, and thank you very much dear mentory tv community i hope you enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed as much as i did my conversation with ute lemper that international um star artist here on mentory tv i see you next time and as ute just said stay curious
If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.